like I want to tell good crime stories and, and good monster stories and sci-fi stories, but I really want them to be about things that I feel need to be talked about more or that matter or that, you know, people will connect with. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes, not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Colomb. Under the Mask Podcast, episode 33. My guest today is a comic book writer from SourcePoint Press. Over his short career, he's won many awards, and I'm very proud to have him on this show. Let's get to it. My guest today is the acclaimed comic book writer of such books as Grief, Dead End Kids, and No Heroin. His latest work, Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job, is coming to your local comic book shop January 27th. But if you want to be the coolest kid on your block, you can pre-order it today. And to make it extra easy for your clerk, give them this code, NOV201523. That code is the previous order code, and they'll know what it means. I'd like to introduce Frank Gogol. Frank, thank you for coming on and talking with me. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's not often I get to be on a show for the first time anymore. Uh, first thing I'll ask you, uh, the same thing that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Talk a little bit about uh, yourself and your story. Who are you and how did you get to be with us here today? Cool. Uh, well, uh, in, in sometime in 1986, my parents presumably went out to dinner. I think it was probably Valentine's Day. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, I, uh, I'm Frank Gogol. I am a comic book writer. Uh, I've written a few books now. Uh, Grief, which was re- nominated for a Ringo Award in 2019. Dead End Kids, which came out in 2019 and was uh, sort of one of the big indie hits of the year. I wrote No Heroin, which came out this year and made a, a similar splash than uh, Dead End Kids. Uh, and then uh, we've got a book coming up that we're going to talk about a little later, Dead End Kids 2, The Suburban Job. I, you know, was born wanting to make comic books. It's something sort of, sort of I've always wanted to do in comics and, and these characters have always kind of been part of my life. And uh, almost five years ago, like four and a half years ago, like I finally said, you know, it's, it's time to, to do something about it. And I kind of started figuring out what it meant to be a comic creator and how that all went. And uh, I mean, that's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of how I ended up here. You know, the, the, I sent you an email and, and we talked and we set up this appointment. But, you know, really, it's it's been a very, very long journey getting to this point in having a comics career and honestly to this conversation. Having spoke with a lot of comic book writers before, they've been writing since elementary school, junior high, all through high school. Were you like that or did you come into comics writing a bit later in life? Um, 
Yes. Um, so uh, I liked to write uh, at an early age. I liked reading at an early age. Um, I, I've been, uh, for, for most of my life, I was like a, a casual comic book reader. Um, and then when I got to high school, um, I, I started taking some more sort of advanced English and writing classes. Uh, the way my high school set up was we had sort of... Uh, semesters with uh, sort of block scheduling. So we would have fewer classes, uh, only four a day, but for half a year, and then we would switch. Um, and that let me kind of play a little bit of chess and checkers with the classes I took. And I was able to kind of stack a lot more electives and creative writing stuff in there. And about the time I was getting ready to graduate, I kind of like fell in love with comics sort of like in a really big way, like moving past the sort of the casual fan who'd read, you know, Watchmen and, and, and Persepolis and, and all the sort of obvious classics to, to being like a big Marvel guy and, and kind of reading everything that I can get my hands on. So, uh, yeah, it's about 15, 16, 17 years now that I've kind of been all in on like doing comic fandom. The writing, it, it was sort of an, a natural extension. Like I said, <clears throat> I did a, a lot of writing in high school. Uh, I, I really liked it. I had a sort of a troubled home life for a lot of my life, and it kind of gave me an outlet for meditating on some things and exploring, you know, so, some of like the stuff that I had to kind of work through. And then right before I went to college, I fell in love with comics, and those two things kind of melded. Uh, so I decided pretty quickly like that comics was the thing I wanted to write. I didn't want to be a screenwriter. I didn't want to write novels. I wanted to write comics. So from there, I kind of designed my whole college experience around the idea of what I thought would make me a better comic book writer. So I got an English degree. I got a second BA in uh, communication. I have two minors, one in graphic design and one in creative writing. Uh, I ended up running my school newspaper for a couple of years sort of, so I could learn how to manage collaborators and work with people and learn print and, and project management and, and all kinds of things that really ended up becoming very helpful. Um, I have two master's degrees, one in uh, general creative writing fiction and then one in, in poetry. Both of those have been tremendously helpful. The sort of learning experiences in those programs and the mentorships I've had with, with uh, other people who have written a lot had, had taught me a lot about the... Uh, sort of grind of what it takes to actually put out a work. Then I graduated in uh, 2011 after my second master's degree. And for a few years, I didn't do almost anything with all that work I'd sort of put aside uh, to be a comic writer. Like real life happened. You know, I got a, a job, uh, you know, got moved into a house with a bunch of friends, uh, started dating a, a woman who eventually became my wife. Um, so like, you know, like life, there was a lot of stuff in front of you. It was uh, sort of late 2015 and I started thinking about how I like I hadn't really done anything with all that education. I was kind of getting depressed about it. I didn't really like my job, even though it was really good and, and it paid really well and the benefits were awesome, um, but I wasn't really happy. So uh, my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, kind of sat me down and said, hey, you don't you don't kind of seem like yourself. You seem off. Like, what's up? And I started just kind of talking about like, you know, where, where my head was at and how I wasn't happy with with the job and whatnot. And she said, you know, like, well, what would you want to be doing? Uh, like if you could be doing any one thing. And, and I hadn't really thought about that, uh, like what another job could be. So kind of like wishful thinking, maybe throwing it out into the ether. I just kind of said, yeah, I, I just want to write comics. Like that's, that's all I want to do. It's like the thing I feel I'd be good at. So it's what I enjoy. It's my, the thing I'm most passionate about in my life. I, I love these stories and how they're told. Um, and she said, well, well, what would it, you know, what would you need to do to make that happen? Like what would, what would the plan be if you, if you could do start working towards that? And I said, you know, I, I don't know. Like there's so much to learn. There's, there's so much I, I don't know. I, I, like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't even know where to get started. And it was a long conversation, went on into the early hours of the morning. Uh, and it, it ended with with her saying, you know, 
listen, I, I have a lot of faith in you. You know, it won't be easy, but I think that if, if you want to do this, come up with a plan and, and, and let's make it happen. And, and that plan eventually became me taking a year off from full-time day work uh, and, and using those hours every day to learn writing comics, to, to travel to cons, to network, to do the actual writing. Um, and, and that 2016, like, you know, I put out my first comic script and, and started writing the stories that eventually became grief. And it, it's sort of been nonstop ever since. And that's a great segue into our next question, because before we get talking about dead end kids, I wanted to talk briefly about the works that helped build up your career. Talk to us a little bit about grief. Sure, I can do that. Um, so uh, for anyone listening who's not familiar with the book, uh, Grief is a short story collection that I put out uh, as a Kickstarter in 2017 and then was picked up for print by SourcePoint Press in 2018. Then in 2019, uh, it was nominated for a Ringo Award. Essentially, it's it's not. it was never meant to be a book of any kind. Uh, I started off my, my writing uh, by doing short stories, little five and seven page guys that, um, you know, just practice with the genre and dialogue and, and just little things. And, and I wrote these 10 stories that I, that I just really fell in love with that kind of really felt like they were part of a set. And, and, and I ended up kind of bundling together as this, this little short story collection um, that, that we put a lot of love and, and blood and sweat into. And it just really became this, this special thing that it never was supposed to do. I mean, honestly, it was making comics is really expensive. Um, and, and part of the reason that this came together was because I figured, hey, I've got something. I want to start building some kind of fan base. Um, I want to do a Kickstarter so I can you know, sort of learn the ropes there. Um, so we, we we put it together as a, a digital Kickstarter. Uh, it launched in April of 2017. Went in with really low sort of managed expectations. You know, it's a digital only book, so it was a PDF. Um, I had no fans. I'd never done anything before, and and we set a, a really reasonable goal of you know like 1,500 bucks. Uh, which at the time I said, you know, like if we hit this on day 31, that's the, you know by the skin of our teeth, that'll be a win. So the book went live. Uh, it ended up funding in like 10 hours. Uh, by the time everything was said and done, I think it had been funded uh, 300%, maybe a little less, a little more um, with like 400 backers. Like it was, it was wild. It, it was much, the reaction to it was much bigger than expected. And then that uh, sort of opened the door for uh, Source Point Press to pick it up for print came out in print in April of 2018 at uh, C2E2. Kind of same deal. Uh, I went in, I was talking to Travis McIntyre, the editor-in-chief at SourcePoint Press. Um, I'd never worked a con before. I'd never hand-sold anything before. And I was just, I said, Travis, you know, like, I don't know how well this is going to sell. The the subject matter is, is very, you know, it's heavy. Again, no one knows who I am. You know, it's not, it's not your average comic book. And, and he said, well, look, you just, let's try, see what happens. And, and we kind of said, you know, all right, we, we'll take this book at face value. We'll recognize what it is. And if we sell 20 of these all weekend, that'll, that'll be a win. Like we can always build from there. Uh, we ended up selling 25 on the first day and I think like 70 by the end of the weekend. And yeah, just like I'm continually and to this day, like just kind of blown away by, by this book. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Like you can't have asked for a better book. Like it just came out uh, with a second printing in March that just has been selling really well still. And like, I don't know, I, I love this book. I'm so grateful for, for all the good energy and, 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 and people and readers and fans that it's brought my way. Frank, can you talk to us quickly about No Heroin? Sure. Uh, so No Heroin is my second miniseries. Uh, it came out this year. It actually just wrapped up its uh, third issue. Uh, came out 
about a week ago. It is uh, sort of my love letter to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I grew up watching Buffy. Uh, it, it came on when I was uh, in fourth grade when I was nine years old. So I was watching it a little bit too young back in 1997. But uh, I loved it. Even at a young age, I could tell like the storytelling was really special. And I, and I really connected the characters and I always loved them. And I knew that one day I wanted to sort of do my version of Buffy because um, I chances are I probably won't get to write the Buffy comic and I'm okay with that but uh, I wanted to tell a story like that it was just about kind of like I was saying earlier finding the right angle into it in my life I've known a lot of people who struggled with addiction and it's affected my life via those people in a lot of ways and, and over the years uh, and, and I've always kind of wanted to take a look at addiction from an angle that's not talked about a lot and that's uh, sort of the recovery side of it like what does that journey look like uh, and what sort of an honest take on these these people who have struggled and who have maybe hurt the people who they love around them but who are trying to do the right thing and and, and kind of stumbling along the way so those two ideas kind of melded you know this Buffy as a recovering drug addict and um, this this character of, of Kayla came into my mind and the story kind of just grew from there um, it's, it's a you know it's a action book fantasy uh, about a, a young woman who fights vampires and werewolves and, and all kinds of other assorted monsters but uh, she's she's on this this journey to to make amends with her family so she can just just get back home and, and I think that that was a story that I was really really interested in telling. Um, I think the best issue of comics I've ever written is is in this miniseries, the second issue. And I just like like, like with the other books, the the reaction, um, the, the outpouring of kind words for the book has just been incredibly overwhelming. And and I'm just like I said, I'm glad it's it's connecting with people. That's that's the reason I do this. And your latest work, uh, Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job, it's the follow-up to your 2019 series, which was voted Best New Series at the Independent Creator Awards. What is Dead End Kids? Uh, so Dead End Kids, uh, the first volume, as, as we have to call it now, uh, uh, it's the story of three kids in 1999 who are trying to solve their friend's murder. So think Stand By Me meets the Hardy Boys, but a little darker, maybe a little more violent and uh, sort of a coming of age story for for kids who grew up in the 90s, um, something that we don't have a lot of yet. But at its core, it's really a story about these three kids who all have these troubled home lives and they sort of rely on one another to to take care of each other. You know, it's, it's, it's that stand by me kind of vibe. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's a special book. Like it really is something special, especially to me. Uh, a lot of people have, have reacted, you know, how I would do if I had found something like this. Uh, but I think, you know, it's, it's a fun little crime book, a little a whodunit, but really it, it touches on something sort of bigger than that. In that it, it kind of shines a light on the fact that, you know, a lot of people have like kind of screwed up home lives and, and stuff like that. And it's kind of something that we, are forced to deal with at a young age before we're emotionally prepared or, you know, have the sort of mental acuity to, to even understand what's happening in some, in some cases. And, and I think that a lot of people responded really well to that concept. And, you know, I, I, I need to give a lot of credit to, to my collaborators as well. Um, you know, I, I wrote the thing, uh, but it wouldn't exist without uh, Nainad Sabitakanen, who did the art, who's back for the second volume. He just has this really great sort of, uh, True to life style, uh, not photorealistic, but like he, he doesn't love doing sort of sci-fi and fantasy stuff. He likes doing kind of from life dramas and he was just the perfect pick for this book. Um, he did the art and the color. Sean Reinhardt who did the letters just really, I mean, letters go wildly unappreciated and Sean really just did some tremendous storytelling in there. And then uh, Chris Mann, who uh, is also the interior artist and no heroine, did the covers for Dead End Kids uh, for the 
both series now. Uh, but he did this, just these great striking covers uh, using a sort of cover template trade dress that I designed and like just really came together. And, and the whole thing just has a ton of synergy and emotion and, and, and like a weight to it when you hold the book in your hands. And uh, yeah, I, I think that, like I said, it's just something really special. And now going into with the sequel, Dead End Kids 2, The Suburban Job. Talk to us about that. What's it like going in writing that volume two? So if I'm being honest, uh, I never intended to write a second volume of the book. So uh, just, you know, a little behind the scenes for for comics. No Heroine and and Dead End Kids were sort of written out of order and came out out of order. Uh, So I wrote the first issue of No Heroine in like the very early spring of 2017 or 2018 rather, sorry. Uh, And then I wrote all of Dead End Kids that started coming into production and then eventually started coming out in, in 2019. Uh, and then as those wheels were moving, I started writing the rest of No Heroin and got the production moving on that. Um, and then Dead End Kids number one came out in late July of uh, 2019. And it was a way bigger hit than anybody had anticipated. It was at the time SourcePoint Press's uh, number one selling number one issue, uh, like the best selling one uh, to date. Uh, no Heroin sort of dethroned it this year, and, and is now the the number one selling number one. Yeah, it just it it blew up. I mean, there was a point for a couple of weeks where the first issue was selling on eBay for ten times the cover price, and people were paying for it. They, they just couldn't get enough copies out. The, you know, the pre-orders were really strong and there's still like a huge demand for it. We went to two more printings on it. Um, I had retailers calling me every day for, for like eight weeks straight um, on my personal phone number asking if I could get them copies, which isn't something that the writer or creators can, can do. It's, you know, we're, we're not in the distribution process, but it was, it was my first mini. The response was incredible, but it was also overwhelming in a lot of ways because it was a lot of trial by fire, like things I had not done before. I had to learn to do really quick things that were sort of beyond the scope of like what I was ready to handle kind of fell in my lap and I had to kind of deal. And it was just a little bit exhausting, if I'm being honest, like not that I'm ungrateful in any way, but it was, I was tired at the end of it. And then I did 20 cons that year and I was traveling a lot. Um, so it was just, it was just a lot. But uh, between the first issue and the second issue coming out, SourcePoint Press came to me and they said, hey, the book's doing incredible. Like this is just blowing out all of our estimates. If you want to do more of this, we will publish more of this. You just just let us know. Uh, like we, we would very much like to. Um, and at the time, I was just I was exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> I was tired. So uh, I don't like to, to shut doors on myself or anything like that. So I said, maybe like a really, really soft, maybe just kind of keep keep a toe in the door, keep it cracked open. Um, and I can kind of think about it a little later. Then the fall hit and New York Comic Con and LA Comic Con and then the year started to wind down. Um, no more cons. No heroin was was sort of on autopilot at that point with production. And the winter set in and I started to have time to think about what a, a second volume would even look like. And at some point last year, I watched True Detective season three. I had watched the first one a while back and then I skipped the second one because everyone said I should and I guess I'm a sheep. But uh, then I came back for the third one because it looked really good and ended up being very good. Um, and, and that format, that sort of same name, same vibe, same aesthetic, um, sort of same creative minds behind it, but a different story with a different cast and different place, uh, different crime. Th- those kind like that that formula seemed like a really good way to to tackle a second dead end kids. Because if you've read the first one, there's a the pretty fine point at the the end of it. Um, the way it ends, it would be very hard to go back and tell more stories without either 
shoehorning it in and it being really obvious or without kind of undercutting the impact of the ending. Um, and I wasn't really interested in, in doing that. Like, I love the book. I love the way people reacted to it and, and how much they appreciated the, the storytelling choices we made. And I didn't want to kind of do anything to, you know, take away from that. Uh, but doing it sort of the true detective style with a new cast and a new setting, uh, it felt like a smart, right way to, to, to go into it. But everything I write kind of has two components. Like, uh, it's got to be a good idea and I have to have a good reason to be telling it. Um, so with Dead End Kids 1, it was, you know, I wanted to tell a, a coming of age story. I wanted to tell a crime, a little caper story. Uh, but I also wanted to talk about childhood trauma. I wanted to focus on that really under talked about topic and same thing with no heroin uh, you know I, I love buffy i wanted to tell a, a monster hunter story i, I wanted to tell a, a story with a, a really strong female lead because because I, I love buffy and, and i also wanted to tell a story about drug recovery and and take an honest look at, at what it's like to, to have made a ton of mistakes and, and want to do better and make up for it but it not be an easy road and, and and what the stumbling along that road looks like so when it came to dead end kids too um kind of figuring out the format really wasn't enough for me and then at some point last year i started thinking about uh things that have affected me and the people around me and i kept coming back to this idea of, of september 11th i grew up uh in new jersey on the uh on the coast uh, sort of uh, in a small town called Union Beach. It's on the, the southern shore of the Raritan Bay. Uh, so if you know, you know your geography, that looks directly across to uh, lower Manhattan. It's about like three or four miles. But on a clear day, you can you can see across and see lower Manhattan. Um, if you got really good eyes back in the day, you, you could see the Twin Towers. Um, and I remember standing on our beachfront on, on September 11th and, and watching the smoke sort of plume up and, 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 and billow out and just looking around and seeing all the horrified people you know later that week i would find out that i knew people who were first responders who who had gone to the scene and, and, and ended up dying I, I had classmates who had moms and dads and aunts and uncles who who lost their lives in, in some of the buildings uh, and it just you know ever since then ever since that that first couple of days like it's only become more apparent to me how widespread and and deep-seated like the effects of that day have become from from so many different angles, like a lot of personal ones, like the ones I was describing. Um, so much of our legislation and the way our society runs is is affected by it. And it's been 20 years. And, and it just got me thinking about like, you know, if it affected me like this, who else my age did it affect at the time? And and, and what, what did they go through? And, and it just, I started to kind of see characters kind of appearing. Um, and that's kind of where the core cast for the book came from. We've got uh, three kids for this series. Tori, Brian, and Amna. Uh, Tori is a 14-year-old woman uh, or girl, whatever you want to call her, who is the daughter of a first responder who died on Ground Zero on September 12th, uh, trying to rescue people. Uh, Brian is the brother of a, an army soldier who was fighting in Afghanistan a few years later, who lost her life. And Amna is a young Pakistani-American woman who is uh, sort of dealing with the exacerbated racial tensions in a post 9-11 world that we're definitely seeing you know, to this day and, and, and you know even even more exacerbated. But uh, these these kids kind of kind of popped into my head and really presented some interesting storytelling storytelling challenges and you know, they just became very real to me and I couldn't stop thinking about this idea and what these kids would have gone through and, and kind of it, it just all kind of clicked into place once I got those ideas. Yeah, it's always great when you have that uh, bit of inspiration that you can say, hey, this will work. One of the things that's been most surprising about the the things people have loved about 
done in kids and no heroin was uh, the the variant covers. Um, I know there's a lot of collectors out there in the world uh, who love art, who, who love um, sort of rarer covers. Um, and then we did, had a lot of success putting together some really nice covers for dead end kids. We had a lot of success putting together some really nice covers, uh, including my first incentive cover for no heroin. Um, and a lot of people have been asking sort of what we had in the works for, for dead end kids or for the suburban job rather. Uh, so uh, we're going to do a few things that are pretty cool. Uh, the first is going to be uh, a one in five incentive variant for retailers. Uh, so for every five copies of Dead and Kids, a suburban job, number one that your retailer orders, they can order one of this rarer cover. Uh, it's, a, it's a gorgeous cover uh, by Ryan Kincaid, who if you're not familiar with, he's done some really awesome stuff for DC lately on the, the Harley Quinn and, and Punchline books and, and some Batman stuff. But he's uh, done this really gorgeous uh, one in five incentive variant for us. Uh, and it's the first in a set of four covers. Uh, each issue will have a one in five incentive variant uh, by Ryan. And uh, all four of them will connect to create a larger image. Uh, if, you, if you get all four of them, uh, they're, they're gorgeous on their own. They're, they're absolutely stunning. But if you can get all four, they'll make a sort of larger connecting image. And it's, it's pretty cool. Then, uh, so we're, we're also going to do a one in 10 incentive. Uh, this was something a lot of people asked me if I was doing back when No Heroin was coming out. Um, we didn't have plans to do a, a one in 10 back then. Uh, things were sort of locked in by the time we realized people were even interested in the incentives. But uh, I kind of heard the feedback and thought on it and thought how we might, you know, put it into practice for this book. Uh, so we're going to do a one in 10. Uh, so again, that's for every 10 copies of retailer orders, they can order one copy of this. So it's a little bit rare, but the the barrier to access is not so high. I know like some incentive covers are like one in a thousand and one in 250 and that's, that's too much. But, uh, you know, one in 10 is, it's a, it seems like a sweet spot. Um, and this one will have art by Ben Templesmith. Uh, ben is a buddy of mine. He's done a cover for all three of my mini series now. Um, and it's kind of a tradition for me to once a year, email him, ask him if he wants to do the cover, uh, not hear from him for a couple of days and then get thumbnails to my inbox at the end of the week. Uh, and then a couple of days later, have the finished art. He's just, he's a machine. He's incredibly gracious and, and kind and talented. Um, and it still amazes me that he's willing to work with me because he's one of the the gods of, of comic book art. Uh, but we'll have the uh, the one in 10 Van Templesmith uh, incentive variant as well. Uh, and then we'll have some uh, some retail exclusives. We have a couple of retail partners that we've already announced. Trinity Comics, El Rey Comics. Hive Comics, uh, and then a few more that aren't announced. Uh, we have some really great artists lined up, and those will be exclusive to those shops. Uh, so we've got a little bit of something for everyone. Um, try to try to be smart about how we do these covers and, and stuff like that to, to, to meet the needs of the different kinds of readers, collectors, casual readers, people who are a little more into the speculation side of things. Really just kind of take a balanced approach to making products that, that everyone can enjoy some version of. I think we've got a really cool lineup of covers coming up for the book. So I'm excited about that. How do you go about writing your comics and what does your process look like? You know, this is this is something I, I think about a lot. Um, I've only been doing this for four and a half years. And, and I can say, honestly, even up through the project that I'm, I'm currently writing, like it's, it's always kind of been an evolution. Like some of it is, is been kind of tried and true and, and there from the start. Like, uh, you know, I, I know the kinds of stories that I like to write about. I, I definitely write character first. I definitely write 
about things that matter to me and then kind of wrap those things up in genres. Um, so like, you know, Dead and Kids is it's a murder mystery. It's a whodunit, but that's kind of secondary to to the character stuff. And, and the same thing's true with No Heroin and, and, and The Suburban Job and probably every book I'll ever write. Um, but it always kind of starts with character. Paul Aller, who is a, another comic book writer, he's on G.I. Joe at IDW right now. Paul Aller is a, he's a comic book writer. Uh, he's on uh, G.I. Joe at IDW right now. He's done a, a bunch of stuff on Ninja Turtles over there. He's written some, some Power Rangers. He's done some Marvel stuff. Um, but uh, Paul's, Paul's one of my writing mentors. Um, I, I connected with him through the, the writing comics experience program. And, and he kind of described uh, sort of uh, world building and, and set and genre to me uh, one time sort of as uh, you, you imagine like an old spaghetti Western movie and they're filming and it's sort of high noon and you got two guys getting ready to shoot out opposite ends of sort of uh, the main street and you've got, you know, the saloon and the, the bail bond and the, the sheriff's office and, and, you know, the bank sort of lining the sides of the road. And then the director yells cut and everyone kind of, you know, scatters off the set and what you walk around back and you see that all these storefronts are just kind of popped up or propped up rather on uh, you know, little stilts and, and whatnot. And they're not real. They're just, they're just set dressing. They're there to create the illusion of, of reality. Um, and that's, that's always kind of stuck with me. Um, so I, I, I generally start with a, a concept or a question, you know, childhood trauma or, or what is, what is it like to be a recovering addict or, or this, that, or the other thing. And, and I kind of build out from there. I built the characters out from there. I build the world out from there. I, I generally am a very lean writer in a lot of respects. Like I don't try to do a lot of world building. I just kind of build what the story needs. And that that's just my preference. Like more, more power to the people who want to do the next Lord of the Rings and, and write their own languages. There's there's a lot of merit in that, but it's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a whole lot of time for that. I got too many stories to tell to get lost in, in writing Elvish songs. But uh, yeah, so it kind of, it just kind of develops out kind of like a, like a fractal and kind of way like things kind of repeat and expand from the idea phase to the writing phase. Um, I generally will, at this point I have a sort of a a worksheet that I've developed of all the things that I like to kind of do like a checklist uh, before I start scripting Uh, and, and, it helps me sort of develop the cast and, and the, the, the big beats and the um, sort of set pieces and, and sort of where everybody ends up. And then from that, I'll build out um, sort of a long form sort of issue by issue breakdown of, of what happens in, in each issue, um, whether it's three issues or four issues or six issues. Um, I'll, I'll write it out. Uh, and I'll try to keep it to like one uh, single space page of a, a Google Docs document, just, you know, to, to give myself limits um, to keep it tight. Once I have that, I'll, I'll go over it a few times, um, you know, make sure that it's consistent, that everything's kind of interesting, that there's no double beats, everything is, uh, there's like no plot holes, stuff like that. And once I feel confident that that is the, the story I want to tell, how I want to tell it, I'll, I'll sort of break that down even further into sort of a beat sheet, you know, kind of write out 20 or 24 pages, you know, uh, sort of as like single sentences based on uh, plot beats and, and do that as a, like a numbered list. And then I'll just transfer that over to my script, one per page. And, and then, then I script out what that sentence is. You know, I, I make that sentence into a page of script with all the movements that I need to get from point A to B, the dialogue, sound effects, 
And that's, that's like a, a simplified explanation of it, but it's, it's more or less the process. Um, I'm big on the revisions. Uh, so when I script, I'll usually try to script really fast. I do sort of what I call a, a vomit draft, just kind of get it out, get it on paper, get, get it 80% of the way to where it needs it to be. Cause at that point, after doing the, the long form, like I'm, I'm sure of the story. So like it's, it's more about transcribing the story in a script format than writing the story. Um, so I just try to get it out. And, and like, I'll, I'll, I'll take a week maybe to, to write a four issue miniseries that way. Just get that draft out. Like the suburban job, I, I wrote the scripts for all four issues in eight days, I think. Um, then I'll, I'll kind of step away from it for a little bit, uh, do something else, work on another story, marketing for, for the, the book that I'm you know, promoting right now, whatever. And then I'll come back to it with sort of a fresh set of eyes. I'll read through the scripts, make some notes for if things need to be seated in earlier issues or if um, something isn't, isn't clear or if um, a character arc can be a little more present in this scene or, or whatever yeah, I need to do to, to tweak it to make it better. And then I'll just take it page by page. Um, I usually have a second document set up and I'll cut out the pages I'm working on, paste it into the other document, sort of work on it in a silo, and I'll and I'll turn things around and I'll edit those pages and then paste them back into the original script, and I, and I just work through the pages uh, until I'm done, uh, and that sort of get a really really solid second draft. That usually takes me a couple weeks, um, not not because it's it's time consuming, but I, I like to work in like three and four page chunks just to keep it manageable and and yeah, so that way I can focus time on on the other aspects of writing because writing really is a, more of a marathon than a sprint, and I like to kind of take my time. And it doesn't like you can only put out so many books at a time, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to work that far ahead. But yeah, after I got that uh, sort of really strong second draft, I'll I'll share that around with a. Uh, sort of little Illuminati group of people I've assembled over the couple of years um, that I've been doing this, that I trust the opinions of, who, who write in different ways than me and think in different ways than me and kind of they'll, they'll filter in some feedback and I'll kind of sift through that and see see what I want to take. And then I'll probably do one more pass on the script using their feedback and then a pass to sort of clean it up, you know, for grammar and, and whatnot. And then at that point, it's done. Like I don't labor too hard over these things. I don't, I'm not worried about perfection. Um, I want it to be good. I want it to be right. But I don't want to spend the rest of my life, you know, picking a word for a line of dialogue. You know, I try to be efficient, um, you know, which sounds really unromantic about this this creative process, but it's truth and it's working for me. Uh, and that's just how I work. You know, like I, other people sit down with no idea where it's going to go and they write and see what happens. And that works for them. And then, you know, more power to those people. But this is this is my style. This is what works for me. Yeah, you really have a uh, tight process there. I'm a big fan of the vomit draft myself because I think editing and revision is where you can make a bad story good. And it's where you can make an already good story with solid structure and solid bones. You can make that great. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. Uh, for me, uh, like I always kind of use the the, the metaphor of uh, kind of working with clay. Like you start with like a blob of clay and, and you want to do like a, a little a little statuette of, of a toucan or, or whatever, uh, just some animal. Um, you, you would kind of take the clay and you'd, you'd mold it into something that's a similar shape to a toucan. You'd get it like 80% of the way there. And then you would bring out, you know, your water and, and, and your smoothing tools and your shaping tools and, and other implements. And you'd start to build on that that foundation. And, and that vomit draft for me, is the foundation like you know it's 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 my molding clay like once i give it the shape the skeleton i can sort of build the muscle on top of it and all of your books so far they've been published through source point press 
Uh, we talked about it a little bit that uh, they had found you on Kickstarter, but how did you hook up with them? Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Uh, the truth is that neither of those things happened. Um, I'd mentioned a little while ago, Comics Experience. Uh, Comics Experience, uh, just to kind of give the pitch for it, uh, is uh, it's an online comic school. Uh, they offer writing classes, art classes, color classes, editing, inking, comic book law, anything you can imagine you would need to, to be a comic book creator. They've, they've got some kind of class for it. Um, and, and when I took that year off of work to, to learn comics, that's kind of where I went to figure out how to take all the tools I had, figure out what I was missing and figure out how to use them. Andy Schmidt uh, is the, the guy who started the school. Uh, he is a far, former Marvel editor. He was the editor on uh, the Annihilation event and all the miniseries that tied to that back in, I think, 2006. He worked on the um, Ed Brubaker Captain America stuff when Winter Soldier was sort of brought in. Um, a lot of the stuff that was adapted for the Captain America movies. Uh, he's worked for IDW. He ran the Transformers line. He worked for Hasbro uh, doing their storytelling related stuff. Uh, so Andy's a guy who knows his stuff. And, and I'm a big fan of kind of, if I don't know something, you know, just finding somebody who does and having them give me the distilled version of it so I don't have to waste a lot of time learning it. So I went to Comics Experience. I studied under Andy. We, we did classes together. And and then I took what I you know learned from him and, and I went and I wrote Grief. Uh, the, the last story in the collection is a story called Embrace. It's a story about a, just a father and his autistic son and sort of slice of life story about how hard a day in their lives can be and how they sort of learn to negotiate one another and, and live with one another and, and make it work. I, I wrote that story in Andy's class. It was sort of the that process of writing the story sort of unlocked writing comics for me. And then I took all that and I ran with it and I wrote nine more stories that eventually became grief. It was a Kickstarter. And then I, I was just kind of moving on. I was getting ready to uh, find another thing to work on. While I was doing all that other stuff, Andy was sort of behind the scenes looking for publishing partners to create a publishing program for comics experience. Uh, they had previously had one with IDW. Uh, I think four or five miniseries ended up coming out of it. Uh, Tet by Paul Aller, Gutter Magic by Rich Duick, and, and a few others that I can't think of off the top of my head. When IDW reorganized uh, a few years back, they, they kind of eliminated a lot of the sublines and it included that one. So Andy was looking for a new publishing partner uh, to do sort of like a publishing pipeline. And he was talking to SourcePoint Press and they were eventually reached an agreement. And Andy had uh, a copy of Grief and, and pitched it on my behalf. So sort of in the best way possible, he went behind my back. And I, and I'll, and I'll, I remember this very vividly. I'll remember it for the rest of my life. Um, it was 2017. I was at New York Comic Con um, back when I lived on the East Coast. I went every year as a fan. It's my favorite show. And at that point, I was networking with uh, publishers. And I'd gone up to the SourcePoint Press booth to uh, introduce myself uh, to Travis, who I mentioned earlier. He's the editor-in-chief there. And I introduced myself. Um, and just so everyone can kind of imagine this, Travis is... He kind of looks like Tormund from Game of Thrones. He's kind of burly, big red hair, big red beard, kind of loud. It was sort of not at all what you imagine uh, the, the president of a, a publisher to look like. And I'm talking to him, and, and he's kind of gruff. And he's just talking. It's a good conversation. And then like, Halfway through the conversation, he, he, he stops me and he says, what did, you, what did you say your name was again? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm Frank Gogol. Uh, and he's like, I know that name for somewhere. Oh, right, right, right. We're going we're gonna to pick up your book. And, and I was like, I, I don't think that that's true. I, I don't remember. I didn't submit anything. Yeah, that's like, news to you. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's, it's, it's called grief. I'm like, yeah. 
that is my book. He's like, yeah, we're going to pick it up. We're going to, we're going to publish it next year. I was, I was quite stunned, but I didn't, I didn't let it show. I just kind of carried the conversation on and it was a good conversation. And when it ended, I walked away and I called my girlfriend who's now my wife. And I said, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here on the floor of New York Comic Con. There's a hundred thousand people here. And, and I think I'm losing my mind, but it turns out that and he was working on that publishing program for Comics Experience alums. They put that program together with Source My Press, and he had submitted it on my behalf. Uh, so technically, they didn't reach out to me. I didn't reach out to them. Um, there's sort of a third option that's very rare. But uh, yeah, that's that's how I kind of got my start with print publishing, got in at my first publisher. They've been incredibly good to me. I'm still publishing with them to this day, and there's plans to publish a bunch more still going forward. Um, so that relationship has been incredibly good, and I'm super grateful for for Andy kind of making that connection, even if it was behind my back. What were the biggest challenges or mistakes that you've made so far and how did you overcome them? So I think that these are actually almost one and the same thing. I haven't been doing this a long time, um, four and a half years. Haven't had a lot of opportunities to shoot myself in the foot, or at least I haven't taken a lot of those opportunities yet. Um, so I, I, I don't feel like I've made a lot of mistakes, but one of the mistakes that I made was waiting so long to, to get going. I didn't make my first comic until I was 28 years old and I'd wanted to do it since I was 16. So like it took me 12 years to, to really get off my ass and do the thing. And, and I, and I regret that to an extent because I could have been doing this thing that I love for a lot longer at this point. Part of the reason I, I didn't do it earlier is because I, I couldn't, you know, I was, I was stumbling on how to get started. And, and part of what I was stumbling with was kind of fear of not being good enough, it not being good and me not putting out work that was good. But once I kind of got over that and focused more on getting stuff done, I could start focusing on getting better. Like I've been sort of really kind of lucky that every single thing I've ever written has been published or will be published as of today. I'm a bad example on paper, but the truth is like, I look back at the stuff I wrote earlier in my career, like some of the stories in grief and, and I, and I see where I've grown as a writer. Um, I see where I've taken ideas and, and, and sort of storytelling that I, I did in those stories and really put them to better use in later stuff. And, I, and I've grown, um, but I wouldn't have been able to do that. I wouldn't be able to, to make those comparisons. And I never would have got any momentum if I didn't get started and start finishing things. If I did, Once I stopped letting the fear paralyze me and I started putting words down on paper and finishing projects, I felt myself getting better and I felt myself getting more confident. And I, I saw myself having more success. Like, I mean, the, the first book I ever put out was nominated for a, an industry top three award. You know, the, the, the first miniseries I ever put out was one of the biggest books of that year. And none of that happens without me finishing that first short story and then writing the next one and, and, and building on those muscles. But none of that happens until I get started. Um, so it's, you know, mistakes I made along the way and, and kind of stumbles I've had along the way were really about me getting my own way and, and not doing what I needed to be doing. And, 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 you know, I don't regret it, like, in a kind of like detrimental way, like it doesn't haunt me. But I just think about, you know, I could have been telling more stories, and I could have told more stories, and I could have connected with more people, you know, if I had started earlier, but I'm doing it now. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to, to have the opportunity to keep putting up books and connect with people. And, and yeah, I'm just kind of looking forward. Uh, on the flip side of that coin, what has been your best moment so far? You know what? It's, uh, uh, if I'm being really honest, uh, it, it happened two days ago or three days ago, maybe. One of the things that I 
did when I first started writing was I kind of wrote myself out a list of sort of the, the, the type of stories I want to tell, like sort of what those stories look like, kind of set up pillars for myself and, and the kind of storyteller I want to be. And and one of the things that I really, really wanted to make a part of my storytelling and, and the stories I tell was that they that they're about stuff that matters to me. Um, like I want to tell good crime stories and, and good monster stories and sci-fi stories, but I really want them to be about things that I feel need to be talked about more or that matter or that you know people will connect with. And, and I think I've had a lot of stuff success with that um the three books that have come out so far i've I've gotten a lot of messages from people and a lot of you know in-person words of kindness about grief and about dead end kids and and about no heroin and the other night i got an instagram message from uh somebody i didn't know but it was a guy who had read no heroin and and he just had finished the the last issue and, and you know he sent me a message like right away to say you know hey i just finished reading no heroin um i struggled with addiction but i've been a clean i've been clean for 17 years you know the, the last few pages of the book made me cry and like thank you so much for writing this and that is i i wish i could count how many times i've gotten messages like that about the all three books and every time i get one of those it's it's the best moment because that's the reason i do it i don't really care about money like I, i'm happy to make a comic and, and not make the money back like I, i'm paying to tell the stories i want to tell and that's that's what i do for my own personal entertainment my own joy but when people tell me that they connected with the stories or the stories connect them and it, it meant something to them and you know people tell me that it's their favorite book like it's just things like that that are really the best moments and they're the reason that i i want to keep writing stories like because i connected with a lot of stories when i was younger and they helped me get through hard times and and i wanted to do that for other people frank what is the best advice that you can give to someone who wants to do what you do uh, I mean, that's that's a really easy one to say and a really hard one to do. But the truth is, at least for me, from where I'm standing, the greatest thing that I ever did that helped me get to where I am with a, with a couple of really well-received books, writing the stories that I want to be writing, um, was was finish, finish something. Um, I, I always like to tell people, you know, you could, you could be the next Alan Moore, you could have the idea for the next Watchmen. But if you don't write the book and you don't tell people about it, it doesn't exist and it doesn't matter. And I think there are a lot of people out there who have these great stories inside that they, they want to tell and, and put down on paper and, and you know be able to, to get out into the world. And, and a lot of them never will. Um, so if you sit down and you do the work and you finish it, maybe it's not the good the first time. But if you finish it, you have something to improve on and, and you can keep finishing and improving and, and iterating on, on the story and, and make it the one you want to tell and get it out in the world. But you can't do any of that if you don't actually do the work and finish. Like it's, like I said, it's really easy to say. It's not, it's not something I never knew. I knew it the whole time, but it was really hard to, to, to do it. But when I finally did do it, put a little discipline into my life and, 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 you know, said that like, I'm, I'm serious about this. It became a lot easier. It's, it's never easy. Like it's, you know, writing comics is hard work. And, and if you're going to be doing it professionally and, and, and selling thousands of copies at, at retail, like, you know, most people dream of, like, that's a whole nother life of work, you know, marketing and, and networking, stuff like that. But it all starts with the writing. So sit down, do the work and, and, and finish it so you can make it better. So you can do all that again. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I think the most viable and and good advice that you're ever going to get in your life is usually stuff you already know and stuff that is really simple to comprehend it's just you know most people don't want to not not even that they don't want to most people never take the time to actually implore the or do the thing you know 
All right, everyone. Dead End Kids, the suburban job number one. It's coming to your local comic book shop January 27th. It's going to be a hot book, Source Point Books, like No Heroin, Broken Gargoyles. They both sold out. To make sure you get a copy, you're going to want to pre-order it from your local comic book shop. Go in and tell them I want Dead End Kids, the suburban job number one. And to make it even easier for your shop, you can give them the previews code, which is NOV201523. Frank, where else can we find you online? Oh, uh, you know, most places. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You know, all, all the social media. Everything's just at Frank Gogol or slash Frank Gogol. I was, I was pretty quick to get in there and, and get up all the good URLs for my name. I have a Facebook uh, page that I don't really use, but I have a personal account. I, I'm more than happy to to take friend requests from people I don't really know. They want to create books and they have questions and they want to pick my brain or if they're fans of Dead End Kids and No Heroin and they want to connect. Um, I, I remember a lot of creators weren't really accessible when I was a comic fan on the other side of the table and I and I and I don't want to be like that. So I, I don't mind, you know, as long as there's a you know, not like a, a Nazi flag flying in your, your Facebook photo and you know, whatnot. Beyond that, I do uh, a newsletter that comes out twice a month uh, called Caption Boxes. Uh, it's kind of a, a distilled version of everything I've got going on. I, I talk about upcoming conventions and signings and and what I'm working on. Uh, usually quite a ways in advance. I was talking about uh, the suburban job in there as early as last year. Uh, we do some exclusives, variants and, and whatnot through there. I, I try to make it really worth people's time to subscribe to the newsletter because uh, I know it's, you know, everyone's inboxes are, are full of crap and, and everyone's got too many subscriptions as it is. But if you're willing to, you know, let me get in your, your email twice a month, uh, I try to make it worth your while. Um, that's definitely the best way to do it because there's no algorithms. It's direct to your inbox. Um, you know, you, you'll never miss it and, until you don't want to see it anymore. As always, we're going to have links in the description and the show notes below. Frank, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Thank, thanks for having me. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.